you know, the greatest human factor that influences your life is the way you see things, the way you see yourself, the way you see your husband, your wife, your future, other people, God, everything in your life, your perspective makes the difference. And here's where we're going with the message today. As we wrap up Exponential, I want to talk about learning how to see with eyes of faith, whether it's for the balance that we need of this $50,000 or something else for our building, whether it's for your marriage, whatever area of life where you need a miracle might be, I want you to learn how to see it with the right perspective. And here's why. It's because your perspective will determine whether or not you're going to be a success or a failure. Your perspective or how you see things will determine whether or not you're going to be victorious or be defeated, happy or unhappy. It's your perspective, your perspective, how you see things that makes the difference in your life. Have you ever heard this? There's more than one way of looking at things. Have you ever heard that phrase? Well, there's more than one way of seeing things. The Bible shows that to be true. We're going to be in the book of Numbers today, and God teaches us in his word there, there is at least two ways of looking at everything. You can either have eyes of faith to see things, or you can see things through eyes of fear. But everything you look at in life, you either see with faith or you see it in fear. Now, the passages that I'm going to be teaching from today out of Numbers 13 and 14, they're, they're big chapters. And so I don't have enough time to read the whole chapters. And so instead, I'm going to give you uh, the scripture in big chunks. But before we get to Numbers 13 and 14, I want to give you some background and kind of tell you what's going on here because it makes a difference in the story. Moses, and you, you probably know Moses, if, even if you've never been to church, you've probably seen the, Moses, uh, the movie The Ten Commandments. Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea. You remember that as the, after the children of Israel left Egypt, they get out to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at that time, realizes that he's let his whole workforce in Egypt, all of his slave labor, just walk out the door. And so he changes his mind, and he sends his soldiers, the Egyptian army, after them. Well, God told Moses to stretch out his arm over the Red Sea, and God parted the waters. The children of Israel walked through on dry land. And when the Egyptian army tried to chase them through, God closed the waters back up and just wiped out in one fatal blow the whole Egyptian army. And so now they've been out in the desert for two years, and they're on the edge of the promised land. They're on the edge of the promised land, and they're camped at a place called Kadesh. I want you to remember that. Say it with me. Kadesh. Say it again. Kadesh. One more time, because I don't think you guys are with me. Kadesh. I want you to say it, because I want you to remember. And so here's what God says. Now is the time to go in and take the land. And I want you to send some spies into the land to check it out because seeing is believing. And so they selected 12 tribes and they went out, checked out the land, and they returned back to Kadesh with their reports. 10 of them, because there's 12 of them, 10 of them had negative reports. Two of them had positive reports. The 10 spies with negative reports saw through eyes of fear. The two who had good reports, 
saw through eyes of faith. Ten of them said, there's all kinds of obstacles in this place. Two of them said, there's lots of opportunities here. Ten of them said, no way we can do it, forget it. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb said, yes, there are obstacles, but with our God and being faithful to him and being obedient, there's nothing that we can't do. And here's what you need to know. This story, at least for this generation of people that God is dealing with right now, the generation of the ten spies, the story ends tragically for them. It ends tragically because the majority of the leaders, and these spies are all leaders, they had the wrong perspective. And it caused the children of Israel to stall in the desert and not go in and take the land that God had prepared for them. They couldn't see through eyes of faith. They couldn't see through God's eyes. And those ten people caused an entire generation of people to die in the desert without a home because they would not see with eyes of faith. And listen, listen, because this cannot be lost on us. A whole generation of people died out because of a faithless few. And the Bible says over and over again, in particular in the Old Testament, it says that I will cur- God says, I will curse or bless you to the third and fourth generation. Let me tell you what that means for us. It means that those of us who are here right now, 25 and older, we represent one generation. And this building that we are sacrificing for, that we are giving to, that we are working our butts off for, that we're making it happen even when there ain't no money in it. It doesn't only affect us We're not just doing this for us, but it's for the next generation. If you're 25 years and old and under, stand up. Will you do that? Can I just put you on the spot? Because typically, y'all don't mind that. Can you just stand up? Not you, Chad. 25 and younger. Come come on. All right, now stay stay standing. Now the rest of us, the rest of us, we're not just building this church for us. Don't, don't sit down, Brianna. We're not just building this building for us. We're building it for them. And there is a cafeteria full of middle school students in the next room. There's a nursery full of kids. There are preschoolers and toddlers down here. And there's about 30 K through 5 age kids down that hall. We are building a building for them. But listen, while they're still standing, we're also building a building and doing church in a way that will affect their children, your grandchildren. And if you take it to the fourth generation, their grandchildren's children, your great-grandchildren, The things that we do right now or do not do affects not only us, but the next three to four generations. Thanks, guys. Y'all look great, by the way. You can sit down. You see how important this is? You see how this is yes, this is no. You see how important this is? Or you can just smile at me. That'd be all right, too. It's very important. Okay, now let's, let's jump into the Scriptures. 
Numbers chapter 13, again, selected passages. We've got the verses coming up on the screen. I want to ask you guys to stand up today just in honor of God's word. I know that you've been sitting down for a while, and it's just no fun when your bum goes numb. And uh, so again, selected verses. I'm reading from the New International Version. Here we go. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. Again, this is the promised land, which I'm giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. There are 12 tribes, send one leader from each tribe. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country, see what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. Verse 21. So they went up and explored the land from the the desert of Zin as far as Rahob toward Lebo Hamath. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. And here's the report they give. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community, whereat Kadesh, in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And there are descriptions in other places of the fruit where like the grapes, they, they just would have piles of grapes. I don't even know, is it a clump or a cluster? A what? Cluster of grapes. And they were just, they were just huge. I mean, it was... A phenomenal thing. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. Have you heard that phrase before? The land that flows with milk and honey. We use that even now to describe, you know, blessings or a place that's really awesome, that kind of thing. Here's where it comes from. And what it means is there's a lot of grassy plain. There's a lot of place for our flocks to do well and to grow. They're going to produce a lot of milk. And so not only is it an abundant place to live, but it's a sweet place to be. And then that next word, but. And this is a big but. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. And Anak was a race of people. And you'll hear them in a little different translation in a few minutes. They were a, a race of people, human beings. And the story is that they intermarried with a group of supernatural beings, maybe even angels, who were left on earth after the creation. I know it seems a little bit odd, but who knows. But the point is that they are giant people. Then verse 29 says that the Amalekites live in the Negev. Now, these are are not people that the children of Israel have never heard of before. They, They know these names. They have a reputation. And I can't put both hands up to my mouth because I got this Britney Spears microphone here. But but they're standing there and they're listening to these reports, biting their nails. The Amalekites live in the neg of the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites, the Gingivites. It sounds like tooth disease or something, don't it? They live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. That sealed the deal. It'd be a great place to go. 
Maybe we can visit sometime. Maybe we can sneak in for a little vacation sometime, but no way we can all move in there as a nation of people. It's a great place to live. We could grow. We could prosper. Yes, it's the promised land of God, but there are just way too many obstacles, way too many reasons why we cannot go into the place. Here's the point. The spies of Israel let fear stop them from doing what God wanted them to do, just like many of us do. It was fear that kept them from God's blessings and favor. It was fear that kept them doing something uh, insignificant with their lives. It was fear that kept them from living out God's purpose and plan for their lives. They looked at these obstacles. They looked at this opportunity through eyes of fear and not through eyes of faith. And I want to teach you to live differently today. I'm going to pray for us, and after I, after I pray, you can be seated. Reach into your bulletin, put out your, or pull out your talk notes, and uh, I'm going to start by giving you three fruits that fear produces in our lives. So let me pray, and you can be seated. God, I pray that nothing would stand in the way today of us hearing the message that you want to give us. I pray that we receive it with the full impact that you intend it to have. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. Here, here we go. You guys still with me? All right. Thank you for that hearty yes. I like that. When I know you're with me, you're leaning forward. Nobody's sitting back with their eyes fluttering. They're about to be gone. You guys are with me. All right, here's number one. When we look at the situations in our lives, problems, whatever it may be, when we look through eyes of fear, number one, We underestimate what God can do. We underestimate what God can do. In Numbers 13, 28, the spies report, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw giants in the land. And here's what's kind of funny about this to me. The children of Israel and some of their leaders, most of them, Not all of them. But some of their leaders have forgotten that just two years ago, just two years before all of this happened here, they were living as slaves in the most dominant superpower of the time. They were living under control of the Egyptians. They were the superpower. But God, without even raising up an army, forced Pharaoh who had the world's most powerful army to let the children of Israel just walk out the front door. I mean, can you imagine that? That's the situation, though. Just two years before, literally, the Egyptians opened the front door to let the Hebrew slaves walk out the door, and they didn't send them empty-handed. They gave them the wealth of Egypt on the way out. And now here they are just two years later, and they're biting all their nails down to the quick, worried and scared because of a few local tribes. Have you ever noticed that the longer you look at a problem, the bigger it gets? The longer you look at a problem, the bigger it gets. And and have you ever noticed this too? That once you get through the problem, once you get through the situation, once you fight through it or or whatever the case may be, 
you find out on the other side of it that you were afraid of something when you never had anything to be afraid of at all? Later, after this generation of Hebrews dies out, after they're dead and gone, the second generation goes into the promised land. And then when they get in there, there's another little small group of spies who go in and they meet a prostitute named Rahab. Rahab is a member of one of these tribes that the children of Israel are so afraid of. And you know what she says to them? She says, for 38 years, we have been sitting inside the fortified city walls, scared to death that at any time, you Hebrews, you Israelites, were going to come and attack us because we've heard about your God. We heard about what he did to the Egyptians. And of course they have because they watch CNN and Fox, right? They've been, watching, they've been watching the news. Listen, they all know the reports, even though they didn't have Fox and because they really didn't have cable vision back then, Brian. You know I'm just kidding about that, don't you? Okay. Because you look like you believed me for a minute. All right, okay, okay. I'm just picking on you, man. I'm just picking on it because you look good this morning. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. They, they didn't have the Internet and all that stuff, but let me tell you something. Things spread through word of mouth. And so everybody knew, because of travel and other things like that, everybody knew about what the God of Israel had done on behalf of his people. They had heard all of the stories. And so all of these people that the children of Israel, the generation before them, were afraid of and kept them out in the desert where they died without a home, all of those enemies were shaken at the knees waiting on God and his people to come over their walls. Sometimes when we're afraid, we're afraid of something that's not even real. Just the myth of it, just the story. The second fruit that fear produces in our lives is that we underestimate what we can do. We underestimate what we can do. Listen again to verse 33. The spy said, we saw the Nephilim there, these descendants of Anak, And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. He's saying, we talk about a low self-image. They said, when we saw these giants, we looked like insects compared to them. And when they looked at us, they looked down on us as insects. They weren't even worried about us. We do this all the time when we think that a project is too big. Let me, let me tell you how I've seen this pop up in our congregation over the last week, and not even just last week, because we've been trying to raise this $50,000. But for years, even before that, I'm a little bit ahead of myself. Hang on. I don't think that the 10 spies with the negative reports are necessarily saying, let's don't ever go in. I think what they're getting at is, let's just wait a little while. We don't have to be so jumpy and edgy. 
let's just have some more kids. Let's let another generation grow up and we could teach them how to fight. Or maybe we can go to the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the Gigabites. Who, what, and we can hire some mercenaries and they can come over and teach our people how to fight and we'll raise up an army. Let, let's wait for reinforcements. And so the way I've seen that work Again, like I said, over the last week or so in, in our church, and I think, I think very innocently and, and well-intentioned, and I've seen the same thing happen over the last few years. People are like, um, we need some reinforcements. We need some help from the outside. Um, do we know anybody that plays for the Carolina Panthers? Those guys make millions. One of them could just write a check for everything that we need. Or uh, how about the Bobcats? Of course, nobody knows the Bobcats, do they? Um, wow, do we have a bunch of NBA fans? I thought y'all would think that was at least sarcastic and cute. So no, okay, that's fine. Or uh, or, or even even better yet, this is a this is a this is the big one that I hear because we live in NASCAR country. Uh, what if we just called Bruton Smith? I mean, he's got the money, doesn't he? So, I mean, he could just write us a check and never even miss it. Let's just go talk to some of those race car guys. And look, I appreciate that. And I'll be honest with you, if Mike Minter wants to write us a check or uh, Coach Rivera, our new coach for the Carolina Panthers, if he wants to write us a check because he just got this big sign-on bonus, we wouldn't send it back. But listen, I'm not going to hold my breath waiting on that either. And I'm not going to let the work of God be held up waiting on them to give us money. Because, listen, they may one day come and be a part of Rocky River Church and what God's doing in our community, but maybe not ever. My point is, I don't believe God expects us to wait for somebody else on the outside to come in and do the work that he wants to do through us. I believe he has the people right here including the people that were here at the 930 service, to do exactly what he wants to see done. I'm not waiting for somebody on the outside. I think that God has lined up the people that he wants us to have right here, right now. I'm going to tell you this too. I'm going to go out on a limb, and somebody might get ticked off about this, but it wouldn't be the first time. Even every, every now and again, even my mama gets mad at me for something. I think sometimes God has to subtract before he can add. And so I I know that I'm not too unlike many of you who have thought, man, I wish so-and-so was around because they could probably give $1,000. Or I wish so-and-so was around because they could probably have. I, I think the people are here right now that God expects to use. I think that we can accomplish the work that he needs done in this community through us. Now, of course, we want hundreds of people to come. I would love it if we could grow into 500 people before we ever walk out the door. We're not too far from that right now. I would love to see our offerings grow because more people are coming in, and that means more people giving. But listen to me. I'm not waiting on somebody else to come in to do what God wants us to do right now. Because God has the people here now to do what he wants to get done. Still with me?
All right, let's talk about number three. When we look at problems through eyes of fear, we develop the wrong perspective. We develop the wrong perspective. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about the biggest problem that you're facing in your life right now. Okay, get it in your mind. Have you got it? Didn't take you long, did it? Because you already know what that big problem is. You got it right there? Are you looking at it? You're holding it? Even kind of massaging that thing a little bit. It's gotten so big for you. you, you got, you've got the problem. All right. Regardless of what your problem is, your problem is not the problem. The real problem is the way you see the problem. It's your perspective on your problems. Are you looking at your problems through eyes of faith or eyes of fear? Because the people in this story are defeated mostly because they have the wrong perspective. They have the wrong attitude. They're looking at it the wrong way. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Because Rocky River Church is a real church for real people. The people in this room are just real people. Now, I know that some of you like to pretend that you're not. Okay, you like to act like everything's fine. So you came in this morning, you got your, got your big Bible, and you just walk in this morning, you're just smiling to everybody. Oh, everything's fine. Good to see you. How you doing? Everything's great. On the inside, you feel small. You feel like you've been defeated. You feel insignificant. You feel overwhelmed. And if I'm talking to you this morning, let me tell you what the Bible says. In 1 John 4, 4, the Bible says, the one who is in you, If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the one who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. The God that you have put your faith and your trust in is bigger than any obstacle that you might face. It's bigger than any foe, any enemy, any Amalekite, any son of Anak. It's bigger than anything or any challenge you will ever face in your life. It's certainly bigger than the $50,000 that we need. God is bigger than whatever problem that you're facing right now. And Jesus himself, the Son of God, says in Mark 10, 27, that with man some things are impossible, but with God anything is possible. In fact, the word impossible is not even in God's vocabulary. But these spies, listen, these spies, they missed it. All my leaders here, our staff, our trustees, ministry team leaders, key volunteers, I, I want you to know that these leaders who missed it, they're not new to the tribe. These are, these are men who walked out with the rest of their tribes and clans out of the front gates of Egypt. They walked through the dry path in the Red Sea. They've experienced God. They know Moses personally. They get the small group meetings with Moses. They're privy to all of the leadership information. Everything that God shares with Moses, Moses then disperses it to all of these leaders. And those leaders missed it.
So I want to give you just a little bit more on this before we close up, but we're, we're quickly coming to an end here. I want to give you three things that happens when we look at things through eyes of fear rather than faith. Number one is we get discouraged. We get discouraged. In Numbers 14, we have the response of the people that they give to the reports. And then at the end of the chapter, we get the response of God back to the response of the people. Numbers 14.1 says, That night all of the people of the community, they raised their voices and they wept aloud. So when they looked at their problems, when they looked through eyes of fear rather than faith, they became discouraged and they did what so many of us do. And I know that you'll be able to relate to this. They just had a big old pity party. They invited all their family and friends to just wallow in the bad news and the discouragement. And some of you are living that way in your own life. You're looking at your problems and you're, you're just wallowing in, in it. You know where I learned how to preach about this? I learned it from one of the best friends I ever have. Joe, I've ever had. His name was Joe Bagley. He was a member in this church for years. Joe, Joe died a, a December a year ago from brain cancer. His doctor had given him 18 months to live, and he lived about eight years longer than they thought that he would live. And I'm telling you that even in his latest, his last days on earth, I never heard him say anything discouraging. I never, not once, even when he knew he would be leaving Ellie and Joey and Liz behind, I never, I, I never heard him say, why me? I never heard, I, and I was one of his best friends. We never had a pity party. We never did any of that. I learned how to preach this from watching Joe Bagley die with brain cancer. So listen of us. Some of us are too broke, too fat, too this, too that, too whiny, too ain't got enough of this, ain't got enough of that. Woe is me. Listen, you need to just stop having a pity party. Because whatever your situation in life is right now, that is what it is. Now what are you going to do about it? Are you just going to sit back and cry about it? And have this pity party? Are you going to move on seeing things instead through eyes of faith? I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just trying to give you a little kick in the pants and move things on here. Recession? I hate this recession. My father-in-law is in business. He depends on our economy to make a living for him and my mother-in-law and their family, and my brother-in-law is in business with him. They depend on this economy. My father is a small businessman, and he depends on the economy to make his living. I wish the economy were better, but it's not. So what are we going to do about it? Not just at the polls, not just how we vote, not just how we pick our politicians, but Christians ought to be able to live above that. I said above that. This is not in my notes. This is just me preaching to you. I'll promise you this. 
I'll promise you this, that while Greece and Europe and China and Japan and any other industrial country that you can think of that depends on our economy, while they may be walking around wringing their hands, God is not up in heaven going, oh, no, what are we going to do? We've got to get more people from the Tea Party, or we've just got to get Obama doing this or that different, or we've got to get these Republicans or Democrats together some way. We've got to get this balanced budget or this budget balance. What are, what are we going to do? God has a whole different economy than what the United States or any other nation in this world has even combined. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands, and it's time for us to stop wringing our hands as well. I'm not saying be stupid with your money. Be as wise as serpents and gentle as doves is what the Scripture says. You should be as wise as a serpent with your money. But we've got to stop wringing our hands over this. In this economy, in this economy, God worked it out for just a small band of people like us to get a loan for a million and a half dollars to build a building. It's kind of it's interesting. Um, back when we were filing it for our permits just a few months ago, our superintendent, went over to the um, whatever office it is in Concord where you get construction permits. And uh, when you go into this office, you have to sign your name in so they have a record of who's been there. And so he was there like on a Wednesday. He went back the next Monday, and nobody he signed right under his name. The fire departments in Concord are sending their guys out to our job site to learn about fire prevention and safety this and safety that because there's not any more construction going on. Not, not like what we're doing. There's not any more construction going on in Concord. In this economy, when most think people would think it's impossible, God made the impossible possible. Number two, we become discontented. Numbers 14.2 says that all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly of them said, if only we had died in Egypt. We should have just died as slaves. You hear what they're doing? They're mourning. Now they're murmuring. And then they're complaining. You know who... People who feel like failures are the biggest critics. People who don't feel good about themselves complain about those who do. These guys had the opportunity to go in and take the promised land, but they didn't. And so now they've moved up into the cheap seats and they're blaming Moses and Aaron and the other leaders and anybody else who was all for going into the promised land. Those two things, discouragement and discontentment, lead to number three, and that is defeat. Numbers 14.3 says um, that the people said, Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Is it only to um, let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to just go back to Egypt? Now, you know the story. We've already talked about the fact that these people lived in slavery. And so now they're saying, wouldn't it be better if we just went back and lived as slaves in Egypt? They're lamenting the good old days where they were slaves for 400 years. How is this even possible? They preferred 
their slavery over safety. Just like us, because so many people would rather live in slavery emotionally, relationally, or spiritually than risk freedom. They'd rather go back to just being slaves than take a risk. And the tragic thing is that these people lost their momentum and died in the desert when all they needed was a different perspective. But instead of seeing through eyes of faith, they saw everything through eyes of fear. How do you overcome this? How do you overcome this? How do you stop living this way? It's as simple as this. If you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you have to stop living in this world like the only reality is the one that you can reach out and touch. Because the Bible says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities of the air and darkness. It is a spiritual world that we live in, and that spiritual realm is just as much a reality as the things that you can reach out and touch and feel and see. You know what we need in our church? More than $50,000. We need people who will see with spiritual eyes. We need people who will not focus on what the obstacles are, but focus on the opportunities, not the problems, but the potential. So here's, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. It's kind of impromptu, I, I know. It's not in the bulletin. But today, I'm going to be out at the building at 3.30. And so if you haven't been there, or even if you have, you just want to see the progress, I want to invite you to come out. I'll be there. I want to, I want to walk you through the building. We'll start in the lobby. I'll show you where the kids are going to be. I'll show you where the preschool. Um, toddlers are going to be the nursery. If you've got babies, you need to know where that nursery's at. I want to take you through the sanctuary, take you through the offices, take you through the kids' worship area, it's going to be phenomenal. I want you to see it, but I want you to see with eyes of faith. I want you to look at the landscape. I want you to think about the places that we're going to play out there and just enjoy. Because, you know, fellowship is a biblical principle. That's what the early church did. They just had times where they would just get together and enjoy one another. I want to do that. I want you to see the landscaping. I want to show you different things. And we're not going to walk out in the mud, though. Because I've already ruined about every pair of shoes I have out there. So we're not going to do that. But I want, I want to show you where we're going to build a prayer garden. Where some of us, not just us, but other people that will come to Rocky River will make the most important decisions of their lives. I want you to see this place through eyes of faith. Let me close with this. Every church, every church eventually comes to its own Kadesh. It's the place where the stakes are high and the risks are great. And you can either move forward in faith or you can just settle back in mediocrity and safety. Rocky River is at Kadesh today. One foot in Kadesh, Pitt School Road Elementary School. One foot into the promised land. Our building, our, our phase one of our ministry campus. Our rear end's on the line for the payment. I mean, all of that stuff is there. And we're close to moving in five weeks. But guys, there's still work to be done. 
let's do this thing. Let's look at it and our community through eyes of faith, not fear. I almost called today's message, Ain't Scared. But I let my guys talk me out of it. No fear. Let's stand together for prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray for, um, pray for us, maybe in, in this way for the last time for a few weeks. I want to thank you for what you've called us to. Thank you for this great work. I thank you for the people in this room. And this room is just full, chock full of people who ain't scared, not afraid. I thank you for the sacrifice and the service and the work that's represented in this room. I thank you for the miracles that you've already done and those that you will do. I thank you for the changed lives in here and the lives that you're going to change when we get into that new building. I thank you for the pioneering spirit that exists among the people in this room. Because they've had to be pioneers. They've put their kids in temporary classrooms and hallways and got groups of people that come in and set up every Sunday morning. They start at 6.30 and because I preach too long they don't get out of here until 1.30 or afterward. And so I celebrate all that. I thank you with it. This is a room full. And I mean this male and female. It's full of Joshua's and Caleb's. The two spies that were willing to go in no, no matter what because they trusted you. So I just pray that now as we are sprinting to this goal, that you would give us a new strength, new energy, new power, new willingness to say whatever it takes and then to do whatever must be done. We pray in Jesus' name.